So before we jump into plural marriage, let's talk a little bit about learning truth. You know what? We never did see that elephant video, right? We talked about it, but I couldn't find it. Can we begin with that? Do you remember when we were talking about truth and the responsibility, the gospel? You have an obligation to not do more or less, to not go too far this direction and not go too far this direction. And way too many people take the gospel and what do they do? They make less of it than they should, or some people make far more of it than they should. And all of those fringes are not the gospel. We've got to find truth. And so when we were doing that, I paraphrased this video. Then I decided to go ahead and store it on here so whenever we needed it, I would have it. Okay, so let's do... Here it is. Oh, did I lose it? Hold on. Somehow, let me stop. There we go. All right, I'll start over. Ancient parable. The first. Well, over 100 years ago, an American poet put to rhyme an ancient parable. The first verse of the poem speaks about six men of Indostan to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. In the poem, each of the six travelers takes hold of a different part of the elephant and then describes to the others what he has discovered. One of the men finds the elephant's leg and describes it as being round and rough like a tree. Another feels the tusk and describes the elephant as a spear. A third grabs the tail and insists that an elephant is like a rope. A fourth discovers the trunk and insists that the elephant is like a large snake. Each is describing truth. And because his truth comes from personal experience, each insists that he knows what he knows. The poem concludes, and so these men of Hindustan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong that someone could make a judgment based on one aspect of truth and apply it to the whole seems absurd or even unbelievable. On the other hand, have we ever been guilty of the same pattern of thought? We have so many examples of things that mankind once knew were true, but have since proven false. For example, in spite of an one-time overwhelming consensus, the Earth isn't flat. The stars don't revolve around the Earth. And of course, men actually can fly. Even break the sound barrier. Often truth is rejected because it doesn't appear to be consistent with previous experiences. The thing about truth is that it exists beyond belief. It is true 
even if nobody believes it. We simply don't know all things. We can't see everything. Because we see through a glass darkly, we have to trust the Lord who sees all things clearly. That is because there's one source of truth that is complete, correct, and incorruptible. That source is our infinitely wise and all-knowing Heavenly Father. He knows truth as it was, as it is, and as it yet will be. Our loving Heavenly Father offers His truth to us, His mortal children. Now, what is this truth? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, He is the way, the truth, and the life. As you accept the responsibility to seek after truth with an open mind and a humble heart, you will become more tolerant of others, more open to listen, more prepared to understand, more inclined to build up instead of tearing down. And you will be more willing to go where God wants you to go. It is my prayer that you will seek the truth earnestly and unceasingly, that you will yearn to drink from the fount of all truth, whose waters are pure and sweet, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So our job is to find truth. What is true? What are the truths? What are true of the gospel? We're going to see if we can put plural marriage into that. Because, man, there are so many opinions and so many innuendos being thrown out. And there's some very, very prominent books that have been written. And a lot of hard feelings are crushed and I'm going to tell you, there's no, you're not going to walk away with all the answers and complete understanding today. I just, it's not possible. Um, so here's what, I, what I'd like to begin with is just let me show you the pattern we all go through when we form opinions. We take what we see and hear or read or so to speak, and we form conclusions. We tell ourselves stories. We tell a story. The story creates emotion. The emotion leads to actions. The problem is, this is not fact. This is conclusion. But sometimes we hold to this as if it's fact, especially when there are holes here. Now, Joseph never intended plural marriage to be something that he wrote about. It was a personal thing. You do not find it in his journals. You don't find it in the history of the church. You don't find it in his documents. He did not speak openly or publicly. He saw it as a very private thing. In fact, he seems to have seen it as something just for him and for a few others. He did not teach plural marriage publicly. 
Joseph Smith Papers is gathering every document he ever wrote, touched, looked at, smelled, held in his hand. We are compiling every document, everything he ever wrote. I have tried to read every single page that I can, and there is just very, very little about the facts of plural marriage. And because so little of this exists, every one of us has to come to some conclusions. I have, everyone who writes a book, there is not enough information to come to some clear conclusions. All of us, and I've read, I've tried to read every book that's been written on plural marriage. And every time I can say, "Mm, that's a little bit of a stretch. Sometimes for, sometimes against. It's pretty obvious when you say, there is not enough historical evidence for you to conclude that. But you are making some conclusions. And sometimes a little bit more information would change the conclusion. So what I'd like to do is add to this list and then let you make some conclusions for yourself. Every one of us has to wrestle with this. It seems to be one of the great tests. It seems to be a test of Abraham for all of us. It certainly was for Joseph. I don't have every answer. No one does. Every historian, everyone who writes has to make stretches. Sometimes those stretches are very far-fetched. For example, I'm sure you've read or heard from someone that Joseph Smith sent men on missions to marry their wives. That is just not founded in fact. There is one little teeny comment upon which people are basing that whole conclusion. One little teeny snippet over here that are causing people to make great conclusions over here. And when you really examine that snippet, it's very, very fishy. It comes from a woman who it appears was having an affair. A a woman married to an apostle who went on a mission, she made a comment about Joseph flirting with her. And that's it. But when you really examine more facts, boy, there's some pretty strong evidence that she was having an affair with someone else over here and was throwing a little bit of shade onto Joseph to hide this over here. Therefore, for me, it's, pretty, it's a pretty long stretch to conclude Joseph Smith sent men on missions to marry their wives. That is just not founded in the facts that we have. So my goal tonight is just lay some truths out here. I pray I'll do a decent job enough that will help you make some conclusions for yourself there are going to be massive holes no matter what because we just don't have a lot of information. So let me 
lay one that I'm fairly confident is pretty strong church doctrine. Before we ever talk about why did they, I think we need to ask, will you? Will you be asked to practice plural marriage? Is it the way things are in heaven? Do all celestial beings have multiple spouses? Will you? Well, we have a pretty clear answer to that question. So the Doctrine and Covenants is laid out in 138 sections and two official declarations. Official Declaration 1 is the end of plural marriage. Official Declaration 2 is the one that extends the priesthood to all worthy males. Let's go to Official Declaration number 1, the one that ends plural marriage. This was added in the 2000, there's, there's a paragraph as an introduction that was added to the 2013 scriptures. This exploratory paragraph, I think, is the church's way of making this very clear. So everyone find in your Doctrine and Covenants, go to Official Declaration 1. Now, if you are reading this electronically, you're fine. If you're reading this in old scriptures, what year is your scriptures? Um, they're pretty new. Let me see. Okay, yours is fine. Anyone have older scriptures? If you're reading this in an old pair of scriptures, it says official declaration one, and then it doesn't have that introductory paragraph, and then it just jumps right to to whom it may concern. In 2013, we added that introductory paragraph. This has now been an official addition to the scriptures. So let's read it. Is, Is plural marriage the norm or the exception? Is plural marriage the way things are, or is it the exception? Anyone want to read that introductory paragraph? Abby. Sorry, not you, Siri. The Bible and the Book of Mormon teach that monogamy is God's standard for marriage unless he declares otherwise. Following a revelation to Joseph Smith, the practice of plural marriage was instituted among church members in the early 1840s. From the 1860s to the 1880s, the United States government passed laws to make this religious practice illegal. These laws were eventually upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. After receiving revelations, President Wilford Woodruff issued the following manifesto. Okay, that's good. I just want to emphasize that first paragraph. The Bible and the Book of Mormon declare that what is the law of heaven? Monogamy is the law of heaven. Monogamy is the law of heaven. That is the standard. The exception is plural marriage. Notice that that was taught in the Book of Mormon. So think about that. Was there any government reason prohibiting plural marriage in the Book of Mormon? So if if plural marriage was the way things are, then what would we expect to find in the Book of Mormon? We would expect it to be in the Book of Mormon, right? And yet, what do we find in the Book of Mormon? The exact opposite. In fact, turn to Jacob chapter 2. Book of Mormon, Jacob chapter 2. 
there was a moment where the Nephites started practicing plural marriage, just like David in the Old Testament. And Jacob comes out and condemns them and says, uh-uh, this is not the way we're going to live. So Jacob chapter 2, Book of Mormon, Jacob 2. Let's go to verse 29. Wherefore, this people shall keep my commandments, saith the Lord, or cursed be the land for their sakes. For if I will, if I will, saith the Lord, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people. Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things. Now, what's these things? Monogamy. One man, one wife. If I, for some reason, commanded otherwise, then do it. Otherwise, what happens all the rest of the time? One man, one woman. That is the law of heaven. I can definitively say you will not be asked to practice plural marriage. It is not the standard. So, that leads me to my question. And we do that with women. Let's be honest. We do that with women as well. If you're, doing, if you're doing your family history and grandma had two husbands, to whom do we seal her? To both. We seal her to both. Are there women sealed to multiple men? Are there men sealed to multiple women? So what's going to happen? The official position of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is... Okay, we need to find this. I need you to know where this is. Go to your gospel library and you need to find church history and then go to the gospel topic essays. So we'll do this together. So in your library, you find church history and then find gospel topic essays. Sorry, it's coming up. I'm still streaming. I don't know why I lost these guys. Shoot. I don't know what happened to the stream, but all of a sudden... Sorry, guys. All of a sudden, the stream went down. I hope you're still there. Okay, so here it is in church history. Now there it is in gospel topic essays. These were prepared by scholars and approved by the presidency of the church, the first presidency of Quorum of the Twelve. Now, find plural marriage. Here it is, plural marriage. Find plural marriage in Kirtland and Nauvoo. This is Joseph Smith's plural marriage. This is the very first article that was ever written. And go to the very, very end. Here is the official position of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Anyone want to read it? Caitlin, read what I have in red. Sorry, family relationships 
will be sorted out in the life to come. Latter-day Saints are encouraged to trust in our wise Heavenly Father who loves His children and does all things for their good and salvation. In other words, what's the official position of the church? Trust God. No clue. <laughs> <laughs> Who's grandma going to be sealed to? No clue. Now, it's kind of like, remember, this life, trying to understand eternity in this life is like my kindergartner trying to understand college. It's just not something we're going to understand. So we do our very best, right? So if grandma's sealed to two husbands, most likely will she spend eternity with two husbands? No. No, she won't. The standard is one woman, one man in eternity. So between now and eternity, what's going to have to happen? A lot of sorting out. Now, I would invite you to think like celestial people. Grandma and those two husbands who do make it to the celestial kingdom, what kind of attitudes would they have? Selfish attitudes or selfless attitudes? In a celestial environment, it's going to be a little bit easier to sort those things out, won't it? Russell Nelson, I don't think we'll be married to two women in the eternities. Dancel. So we're going to have a whole lot of sorting out. And I just trust that Heavenly Father will make it work. So can we put that question to rest? Will you? No. It is not the standard. It is not the way things are. It isn't some test you're going to have to pass someday. The standard is monogamy for eternity. Now, in the meantime, we seal, we do our best, and we trust Heavenly Father will work it out. So, any questions about you? So, really, there's only one question left, right? What's the question? Why did they? What were they thinking? Now, almost everyone has an opinion based on very, very little information. So I would invite you to expand the information you have and do your very best to make conclusions and tell the stories and be generous to the people whose lives you may or may not fully understand. A lot has been written. So let me do my very best to lay out a few things you may not be thinking. Here's the first thing. I, don't, I haven't come up with a good analogy, but here's the problem. When Joseph Smith died, it was not clear who the successor was. What kind of successors do you see in the world today? How does the king of England, what's the, what's the kingdom of England, well, what's their successor? Blood, right? So is Joseph Smith's son the new prophet? Because that's a very legitimate thing in England and in kings that the son takes over. Okay, um, how about Apple? Who took over for Steve Jobs? The vice president? No. Who took over for Steve Jobs? Hand-picked successor. 
So someone came forward saying that they were Joseph Smith's handpicked successor, and they had a letter forged, but they had a letter saying that he was their handpicked successor. So there was a lot of confusion. Blood, handpicked successor. What's another legitimate succession? Who usually becomes the president? The vice president. So is that Sidney Rigdon, the first counselor? A lot of people thought Sidney Rigdon. So do you see the confusion? If you want my opinion, part of the problem with plural marriage has to be connected to the lack of clear succession. Because two groups, after all that confusion, two groups kind of come to the forefront. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Salt Lake, led by Brigham Young. And the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, led by Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III. Both claimed to be the rightful heir of the church. And it came down to property. There was some property that they were fighting over. So it went to court. And a judge made a decision. Wait a minute. We need to legally decide who is the rightful descendant, heir, the rightful successor of Joseph Smith. So if this is the church of Joseph Smith, and over here is Brigham Young, and over here is Joseph Smith III, they had to legally decide which church was the rightful successor of Joseph Smith, and that church owns the property. So guess what the judge decided would be the determining factor? What was the major difference between these two? Plural marriage. Brigham Young practiced plural marriage, and Joseph Smith III did not, and said and vowed that his father didn't either. And so this was no plural marriage. So the case came before a judge saying, we will determine who the rightful successor is based on whether or not Joseph Smith practiced plural marriage. So it went to court to prove whether or not Joseph Smith practiced plural marriage. And they brought forth his wives. And it was pretty clear in court that Joseph did in fact practice plural marriage. Therefore, the lawsuit went which direction? This direction. But here's what happened. Plural marriage became our identity. It's how we distinguished ourselves as Joseph's, descend, Joseph's successors. Now tell me what happens when someone chooses one particular trait to be their identity. It takes over. It blossoms and blooms and becomes far more than it was ever intended to be. Plural marriage was how we legally proved that we were the successors of Joseph Smith. So what's going to happen after that? Do you see it's going to blow out of proportion a little bit? It's going to become bigger than it ever was under Joseph Smith. It is my suggestion, again, just a small little piece, and we don't have all the information, but it is my suggestion that the plural marriage practiced by Brigham Young was very different than what the intent was here because it became a matter of identity.
It became how we showed the world that we are Joseph's rightful successor. And it sure had the potential then of becoming more and bigger than it was intended to be. That is one piece of information I would add that no one seems to be thinking about is the lawsuit that brought plural marriage to everyone's attention. Number two, here's a couple things that a lot of people don't think about when we talk about plural marriage. Turn with me to the second section of the Doctrine and Covenants, which is the very first section given. So I'm going to write these. And again, again, I don't have all the facts. I don't know everything. But one thing I've never heard anyone put into the equation was that plural marriage became an identity issue. So consider that. It's how we showed the world who we were. Number two, section two was the very first section given, right? We talked about this in the class. According to section two, according to the Moroni who's quoting the Bible, if Elijah doesn't come and bring the sealing powers, what does it say? So the very first section of the Doctrine and Covenant says, if Elijah, if we don't seal families, this whole earth was a waste. If we don't seal families, this whole earth was a waste. Now turn with me to section 128. Joseph Smith gets another revelation and it's the same idea. It's this idea of we are preparing for the second coming and we must seal families. Now, you and I, we've talked about Abrahamic covenant. We've talked about that doctrine. And it's now been hundreds of years, and we have the advantage of looking back and seeing that it was intended to roll out across the whole world and to seal families across the whole world. We get it. We have a perspective. Joseph knows that if the second coming comes and we haven't sealed families, and we've missed the mark. We've done something. Now, notice in section 28, 128, he's going to say the same thing. It's the same idea. Doctrine and Covenants 128. Let's get to verse 18. Quoting that same idea about Elijah about the work that the Latter-day Saints, Latter Saints are doing. Now, again, you and I have had hundreds of years to look back and say, I know what that means. That means before he comes, which is still future to us in 2023, we better step it up and get family sealed. But Joseph Smith, from his perspective, again, verse 18, anyone want to read it? Jay? I might have read... Notice, oh, hold on, I got to point out verse 17. Notice what, what he just quoted in, in 17. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And then he says, Jay, 
when Joseph Smith says, I might have rendered a plainer translation to this, but it is sufficiently plain to suit my purpose as it stands. It is sufficient to know in this case that the earth will be smitten with a curse unless there is some welding link of some kind or another between the fathers and the children upon some subject or, or other. And behold, what is that subject? It is the baptism for the dead. Okay. The earth will be smitten with a curse if we haven't done what? Welded the families together. Now, Joseph Smith is reading these verses. The earth will be smitten with a curse if we haven't welded families together. Now, again, I don't have all the information, but I have one section of the Doctrine and Covenants that I wonder throws a whole wrench into all of this. Turn to section 130. Section 130. Joseph Smith was praying to know when the second coming would come. Verse 14. I was once praying very earnestly to know the time of the coming of the Son of Man when I heard a voice repeat the following. Joseph, my son, if thou livest until thou art 85 years old, thou shalt see the face of the Son of Man. Therefore, let this suffice and trouble me no more on this matter. I have no freaking idea what that means. <laughs> but what most likely did they conclude? The second coming will be before 1890. Joseph would have turned 80 years old in 1890. I think Joseph thought the second coming was in his lifetime. I think the saints thought the second coming was very close. So put all those scriptures together. The earth will be smitten with a curse if we haven't welded the families. And the second coming's very close. Do you begin to see what they may have been thinking? Again, we don't even know because we don't have a lot of their records. But that's something that no one seems to be talking about. They thought the second coming was close. And they knew the urgency to seal the families of the earth. And then the doctrine of sealing comes. Which may very well explain what they were thinking. Now, you and I, after hundreds of years, have learned, okay, I, we know what he's talking about. We know how to seal the families of the earth. How am I connected? This is me, and this is my wife, Jennifer. And we're sealed together. But I'm more than connected. I, I'm, I'm connected in how many ways? It's not just a line going up, right? Because... My wife is sealed to her parents. I'm sealed to my parents. Her parents are sealed to her brothers and sisters. And my parents are sealed to my brothers and sisters. I'm sealed to my children, who are sealed to their spouses, who are sealed to their parents, who are sealed to their other children. What direction am I growing? Out! I'm growing out in a way that's connecting the family. Not a single line up. 
we know, and this is where Oliver, no, Wilford Woodruff years later says, guys, what we're doing is not right. We don't need to do this artificially. It's naturally going to go out. We're going to stop what we've been doing. He called it the law of adoption. The law of adoption was, I want to create this. I want to create a connection this direction, not just this direction. So, one piece of information that I want to throw out there. One of Joseph Smith's wives was 14. Now, most people get just that little piece of information and go, and they jump right to a conclusion. Joseph married a 14-year-old. But if you just, wait a minute, let's, let me add more facts. Joe, anyone know who that 14-year-old was? Helen Marr Kimball whose mom and dad were Heber C. and the late Kimball. Perhaps one of Joseph's best friends. Now, I don't know what he was thinking. I, don't, I wasn't there, I don't know. But here's what I'm wanting to throw on. I'll bet you anything Heber C. Kimball wanted to be sealed to Joseph Smith. Now, we're not going to seal those two, are we? And so I suspect that Joseph said, or that Hiram said to his daughter, why don't you be sealed to Joseph? Because you're my daughter and we're sealed. And by sealing, by her being sealed to Joseph, who then is Joseph Smith sealed to? His best friend, Heber C. Kimball. Now, is there any, any evidence that the marriage between, um, oh my gosh, I forgot her name, Helen. Is there any evidence that the marriage between Helen and Joseph was sexual? Not one shred of evidence that it was a sexual relationship. It was a ceiling for eternity. It was a connection this direction. Helen Marr Kimball went on to marry someone else and had a family. But if you ask me, they were trying to do this. They were trying to connect this direction. And by this marriage, those two dear friends are connected. Now, do we do this today? No, that's not how we do it. I have a very dear friend. Here's Bryce. And here's Bryce's very, very dear friend. Do I need to worry about he and I being connected through ceilings? Why not? It's naturally going to happen because I'm connected into this massive group and he's connected into this massive group. That's what you and I understand today. But they did not. Joseph, I think, thought the second coming was close. 
And so he steps on the gas pedal to make as many connections as possible. And when people start talking plural marriage, no one seems to connect this idea. May I add that idea? The law of adoption was how they were trying to connect each other through marriages. Now, were some of Joseph Smith's marriages sexual? Yes, he was married. That's permissible when you're married. Were they all sexual? There is very, very strong evidence that there isn't. Again, can I throw out one thing that I've never heard anyone say? I've read all the books, I've read everything, and I've never heard anyone point out this fact. Can I just add one more fact? Some people hear what they hear about plural marriage and make assumptions about Joseph being a pervert, that Joseph is driven by sexual desires. That's the story they tell themselves. Because why else would anyone be married to multiple women if it wasn't for sexual purposes? So let me just throw one more fact for you to put on that list as you make your conclusions. There is today, with all the DNA evidence that we have, there is only, the only known descendants of Joseph Smith. And we've tested the DNA of many, suspected. The only known descendants of Joseph Smith are the children of Emma. That's it. There is not another known descendant of Joseph Smith but what was born to Emma. All these wives. And no one birthed a child to Joseph? Now, how many of these women got pregnant after they remarried after Joseph Smith's death? Almost all of them. Almost all of them were fertile and started to have children after they remarried. Now again, I don't know what that means, but do you know what it adds? You know what piece of information it adds to me is that Joseph was not driven by sexual desire. That marriage was something else. That marriage was a connection for eternity and not just a sexual desire. All right. Questions? You got to have a zillion. No questions? I saved a half an hour for questions. <laughs> How many were there, Brother Dunford? How many wives were there? Okay. <laughs> I will answer from one of the most brilliant uh, BYU professors who studied plural marriage. Someone ran in one time and said, hey, how many women was Joseph Smith sealed to? And he said, well, we're for sure about 10. Some people suspect 30, other people have thrown out the number 40. Well, I know, I know. What do you say? How many do we know? And his answer was, 
Well, we're for sure about 10. <laughs> Other people have thrown out the number 30 and some people suspect 40. In other words, the greatest experts on earth can't even agree how many there were. We can definitively identify about 10 who came forth in the court case to testify under oath. I was a wife of Joseph. Does that mean what we think it means? Yes, it means what you think it means. I was a wife of Joseph. You're going to hear numbers like 30 thrown out. You're going to hear numbers like 40 thrown out. You're going to hear things like, well, it was a 14-year-old. I would simply ask that you pause and say, let me lay down everything I know before I tell myself a story. I would invite you to think about everything we've taught in this class. I would invite you to read every section of the Doctrine and Covenants and you tell me what kind of man wrote these sections. I would invite you to read the history and get to know him. And I will tell you with every ounce of my soul, he is a better man than I am. He is a better man than I ever hoped to dream to be. He is a man of integrity. He is a man of heart and soul who loved God and wanted to do what was right. Could plural marriage have been a big miss for him? I grant that he was a human being. But everything else I know about him, everything I've ever read about him, I know this man was a better man than I'll ever hope to be. I have read enough of his writings to know his heart. He was not a pervert. He was not motivated by sexual desires. I believe he was desperately trying to connect the human family by divine principles. And so he did something he thought he was asked to do. I don't know if Joseph ever thought it would be a practice this church practiced. There is no evidence that Joseph ever thought that this would be a practice of the church. Maybe it became a practice of the church because it became an identity issue. I don't know. Rachel? Didn't God command him to do it? There are stories. Again, a lot of people take a little snippet here and do they blow it out of proportion? Uh, you be the judge. There are stories about Joseph Smith having an angel come to him with a drawn sword saying, you practice plural marriage or I'll strike you, ever, uh, strike you down. Now, can I ask, does that sound like the God that we worship? No. Does that fit anywhere else you find in the scriptures that God would come to a prophet and say, you either do this or I'll strike you down? Boy, I, when I, I've, I've read the stories and I know that they're there, but when I try and put all the information together, that story just doesn't fit with the God that we worship. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to strike him down for something, it's losing the manuscript, the scriptures, <laughs> not I'm going to strike you down if you don't practice plural marriage. But again, could it be again, could it be 
that the people who were trying to justify plural marriage as their identity took that story and maybe blew it out of proportion a little bit. If you try and track that story down to an official source, guess what you're going to find? There is no official source. It's someone who said someone who said something who said someone. There is a lot of missing information. A lot of it. Others? If I'd known, I would have kept going. I thought you'd have a zillion questions. Yeah. With that idea that shows me that their intentions with it were pure as far as those who are being asked to do it. You hear Joseph's struggle or Young's struggle with that. He had a big problem with that. Envy to corpse. Yeah. Wished he were the dead man. But also hearing Emma's account of how she felt about that and how the other women felt about that as first wives or as second or third wives. But the fact that they took it to the Lord every time that they were able to showed a, just this just a genuine, heartfelt intention. I want to do the right thing. Right, and I don't know the, the account that they have that they experienced some sort of peace or comfort in those situations shows me that there was no ill intent. Yeah. Whether it was a miscommunication in Revelation or whatever, but there was no ill intent and that God was not. You know, condemning them right. for their actions. Yep. Right. And again, I am open to the reality that maybe Joseph Smith missed. Maybe he swung and missed. But what I know is that man was trying with all his soul to do the right thing. He had every desire to please Heavenly Father. I know that. So... Again, take all of these things into consideration. Now, 14 suspected, again, that number is often ish, fishy, 14 suspected women were married to other men. So Joseph is sealed to a woman who's married to another man. And again, people hear that and they go, <gasps> without, hold on, there is not one shred of evidence that in any of those cases the relationship was sexual. And in a lot of the cases, there's strong evidence that the woman wasn't happy with her husband and wanted to be sealed to Joseph in the eternities. I'll live with you in the, this life, but I'm his in eternity. And so they wanted to be sealed. Um, there's a lot of evidence about uh, there was no one coerced. There's this idea that Joseph Smith kind of swooned and groomed them. The reality is Joseph rarely approached the woman himself. He usually had someone else approach her, gave her time to think about it, and even honored those who said no. There is one woman who said no to Joseph. I will not be sealed. And then later regretted it and after his death was sealed to him post-death. And that story kind of intrigues me that she was, there was no retaliation. No, she wasn't ostracized in any way because she said no. But why would she seal herself after his death? A lot we don't know. Before you make a conclusion, gather all you have.
So the last thing I wanted to do, any more questions? Anything you want to add or? I do want to, I always understood, and I might be wrong, but there was ceilings, there was the marriages for time and then for eternity, like time only and eternity. And some of those ceilings, I heard it in the case of all this might not be true, but that hers was a case of ceiling for eternity only, not for life, and so there's not yeah. a reason for there to be any like there is not one, yeah, there's not one shred of evidence with any of the, when Joseph was sealed to a woman who had a husband, there's not one shred of evidence that it was ever sexual. Rather, it was a case of, I recognize that this marriage is for time and I want to be with him in eternity. And again, I think there was a misunderstanding. How many of you, honestly, can understand the thinking that I'll seal myself to the prophet Joseph Smith? Because I know he's going to be there. I mean, wouldn't that be a little tempting? I don't know if this bum's going to... I shouldn't say bum, but... I don't know if... My wife can honestly say that. I don't know if he's going to make it, but I know he's going to make it. So I, I can't fault them for wanting to be sealed for eternity to the prophet. Now, do I think they're all going to be sealed to the prophet? Absolutely not. There's a lot of working out that's coming. But do I understand why they might be motivated to do so? That makes sense to me. Abby? Yeah, this is more a question about families. Um, yeah, that's just incredibly messy. It is. How many, how many of you know someone sealed to parents who aren't sealed to each other? Children who are sealed to parents who aren't sealed to each other. Now, is that going to work out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I know how it's going to work out? Do they know how it's going to work out? No. And again, sealed to and live with in the eternity are not necessarily the same thing. Just because these two aren't sealed to each other and these are sealed to them, does that mean that they can't live together? In the eternities? Absolutely not. Uh, so I know like Abraham had many wives. And it's probably like a hard question. What about like Jesus? That, again, we don't know. Absolutely no. No idea. But one thing we can probably safely guess is in the eternities, will he have one or multiple? One. That's how it is. One man, one woman. Any other questions? Caitlin. More just like a comment, but like I've always viewed this as like Heavenly Father has a perfect plan, and just because we don't understand the perfect plan, yeah. Well, human beings and and human beings and marriage, it gets messy, doesn't it? So, could you come up with a a plan? Could Heavenly Father come up with a plan that fit all nicely together among human beings? It's going to be messy, no matter what. It's going to be messy. So. Did Joseph understand everything? No. Do I understand everything? No. Have we learned since Joseph's day that we don't do what they were doing? Yes. Yeah, we've corrected some things. Is it okay to learn and grow and fix and correct? It is. Does it mean Joseph was broken? It means we believe in revelation ongoing. Someday, I can't wait to go back and find out all the details. 
I can't wait to talk to Joseph. I can't wait to talk to the wives. I can't wait to talk to the people that were involved and get the real story, not historians' perspective on what they think the real story is. I've read the books and sometimes they'll take one little journal entry and they'll make a conclusion that I, I don't think you can make that connection, but they'll do. And then based on that connection, they make all these conclusions. I can't wait to gather all the facts. I think when we gather all the facts, I think I'm going to go, oh, But what if Joseph is the one that goes, oh, will I be okay with that? Yeah. Will he be okay with things I didn't understand? I believe so. Will I be okay with things that maybe he didn't understand because he didn't live in the day in which I lived? Yeah. Do prophets have a crystal ball where they see everything? Did Joseph Smith know everything? He didn't. Was plural marriage a swing and a hit? Was it a miss? I don't know. I know that if I practice it, it's a miss. And what I know is I love that man. I hope this class has made it very, very clear where I stand and how I feel about that man. I will choose him every time. Do you remember when Moroni said, the ends of the earth shall inquire after thee and hell shall hold thee as a derision, but wise people will always seek your counsel. I'm one of those. I testify he was a good man, a better man than I ever hoped to be. Last thing I want to do is if you would like to know more, people always ask, okay, what do, you, what do I think is the best source? There are great sources and I, everyone, everyone makes conclusions. There's not a single person who has all the facts. Every single writer makes conclusions. So you kind of have to say whose con con conclusions match with your conclusions. And some people will say, this author's conclusions match with mine, and they like that author. So if you're interested, I will tell you the source that I like the best. It is josephsmithspolygamy.org. I think the Hales are very, very thorough in their research. They have written four books. They have written probably 2,000, more than 2,000. One book was, I think, 1,600 pages. They have written thousands of pages. They add to it every time a shred of evidence. I think they're very honest. I don't think they jump to conclusions as well. So if you're interested, that's a great source. I like that one, Joseph Smith's Polygamy. Um, I can pull it up. Let me just pull it up just I want to show you one thing about that website. If I smell Joseph.
but I mean, I fear pressures to be like, oh my gosh, everyone needs to be sealed. I don't know who sealed it, who. I mean, I can kind of understand. I can give, I can be very generous in giving a pass to the lack of information that they had. It is unfair to hold them to today's standards. Because you would know, and like you said, salvation is up to you as well. So just because they got sealed does not technically mean they can be in the highest. Um, I mean, like... Remember making and keeping? Yeah. Making is not nearly as significant as keeping. Do I break the ceiling? Why break something that would allow me to go to a higher kingdom, yeah. basically? Now, does that, do you have any intention of him being your husband in the eternities? Oh, man, I hope <laughs> <laughs> <I'm home> not. <laughs> and you know what? That's just going to work out just fine, won't it? What do we know about God? What we know about him is he will bring about what is absolutely best for his children. I just know that with every fiber of my soul. That I will be happy. You will be happy. He will be happy in the eternities. Anyway, if you're interested, this is what Joseph Smith's polygamy looks like. And what I really like about this is it goes through common questions. It goes through an introduction. And I just love the process here. It'll go through... The beginnings, Joseph's proposals, a woman's choice, Joseph's last year of life. It really does a good job putting some perspectives. But again, do they have all the answers? They do not. Does anyone have all the answers? No. Everything you read about plural marriage, you need to remember, everyone is making jumps and conclusions. And no one has all of the facts. So I I just hope tonight I could throw a couple things on that that might help you change the story perhaps you've told yourself. Someday we'll know. But the one thing I know is the book that he wrote is true. I stand behind that. I hope I have convinced you that I am not an ignorant man that I am well thought out, I think deeply, I analyze, I look. I hope I have convinced you that I am not a foolish, ignorant man who just does what he's told. And allow me with every ounce of my soul to put my whole life, my reputation, and everything that I am on this line. The book that he wrote is true. I know that. How you write that book and be a dishonest man, not going to happen. Whoever wrote that book was a God-fearing, good man. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.